Well, Welcome to Lab Life with the Air Force Research Laboratory. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Kenneth. Hello, folks. Today we are doing something unique. You're about to hear from four chiefs we met at the Air Warfare Symposium in Orlando talk about the importance of resiliency in wingmen and the Air Force as a whole. In three, two, one. We are starting off with Chief Goodell. So, Chief Cadell, welcome to the podcast. Hey, well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for welcoming me into it. I look forward to the discussions. Yeah, we're yeah. really glad you could join us for this resiliency episode. But, um First, could you explain what you do um, as the Air Force Material Command Command Chief? Absolutely. Well, uh, so I work general, uh, for General Bunch, uh, the uh, AFMC commander, and my job is to advise him on all all. Uh, and since anything affecting the, the enlisted force uh, in Air Force Material Command, so meaning whether that's morale, discipline, whether that's professional development, uh, whether that's for, for promotion processes, so we look at all of that from the life cycle of an airman, enlisted airman, going through the, the Air Force. What does that mean? So we look at that in AFMC, and I actually have a, another role that I play for the Air Force on what's called the AFSEL, the Air Force Senior Enlisted Advisory Council, where that's all of the MAGCOM command chiefs working with the Chief Master Sergeant in the Air Force. And we look at Air Force policy, big picture policies, and how those affect um, enlisted airmen across our, our Air Force. And when I say enlisted airmen, i got to be careful, too, because really that's kind of what the, what the job description is. But the reality is, is when I say airmen, it's many of the policies, many of the things we're looking at, it's not just affects enlisted airmen, it affects all airmen whether that's uh, enlisted, whether that's officer, whether that's our civilian airman. It doesn't matter. So we're looking at that in a broader perspective. And in being part of AFMC, because we we do, our command is uh, has a significant portion of civilian airmen in it. So I also pay close attention to those. I look for trends in morale and welfare of the, the, of the military members and the civilian members and their families, too, kind of looking looking after that. How do we, basically, how do we better take care of our folks? Really, that if I had to draw one simple piece, what do we do to take care of our folks? And, and what are those things that, that are out there that maybe frustrate them uh, or, or cause them to give up on our Air Force? And then how do we get after those and, and, uh, and change that so that they to make their life and their experience in our Air Force better? So. That's a lot, but that's kind of the picture yeah. piece. The, the welfare, the the people, yeah. the people part. I was just talking to your exec outside the podcast booth, and he, you know, you're, you're talking to some other people here at AFA, and he's like, "This is what you love. You love uh, talking, connecting to the people." Yeah, absolutely. So my background, just a quick piece. So I, I started the Air Force as a as a maintenance and maintenance for about the first uh, 14 years, and then uh, when I became a master sergeant, um, I was selected to become a first sergeant. Uh, so a first sergeant is an advisor on morale, welfare, uh, pieces to a, starting off at mostly at the squadron level. And I did that uh, at the squadron, the group, at the uh, NAF, and at the MAGCOM level, and then eventually becoming the uh, special duty manager for all first sergeants in our Air Force. And so about 10 years of work as a first sergeant, which really kind of helped me really kind of build a passion for what I do now. And it's really kind of set me up for the job uh, here at AFMC. So that has helped so working so close with the airmen then, uh, the war that's come up a lot is resilience. Yeah. How does that affect your job or how do you see that uh, in the Air Force? Yeah, so we talk about that often, right? You hear that word. Sometimes I get concerned that we use it as a buzzword a little bit. 
And because people sometimes get, they say, oh, they're going to talk to me about resilience again. You know, they've heard that. But really, what are we talking about? We're trying to talk about us making us better human beings, right? And how do we, how do we be able to run into a challenge? How do we bounce back from that and to make us better? What do we learn from that? And, and I'll tell you, I've had instances in my career, in my life, that are challenging. And I think, and sometimes I look at it and I'll say, man, I, don't, I just can't see, you know, I can't see after this. What's what's next? You know, there, whether that's uh, what professional life or whether that's family life. And really, when we when I think of resilience, I think of of how do we better prepare people to, for the challenges that are about to come. Someone once explained to me as an anchor, resilience is kind of like an anchor. It's when the, when you have the toughest day of your life or the toughest day in your career, your job, whatever it is, what is it that holds you? Some, for some people, that's faith. So for some people, that's fitness. So for some people, that's just getting me into a good mental place, stepping away, getting away, going for a walk, doing something. But uh, it's the, the skill sets that help you build a better yourself, help me better so that I can, when I... When that day comes, when that storms of life come, because we all they all happen to us all, uh, how do how are we better prepared to get through that? And sometimes that's leaning on a friend or a, on, on a fellow wingman or an airman to come up and say, "Hey, uh, I, I know you've been through these tough times. Uh, how'd you get through it? You know, walk me through it." And just put your arm around them and said, "Hey, man, I'm here with you. Um, I know you're going through a tough time. Let's talk. Or let's uh, hey, here's my here's my number. Uh, let's go have let's go have a." Let's go get a, a you know a drink, or let's let's go uh, let's go sit down, and have some coffee, or whatever it is, and just kind of talk. That's what I think uh, resiliency is is all about. The challenge I think we see from senior leaders' perspective, whether that's across the Air Force, whether it's at uh, Air Force Materiel Command, is uh, it's tough to write a policy. It's tough to bring a program that really gets after that. It's really a human contact. I think that is. Uh, what we're trying to get after. General Bunch will often say that, uh, you know, we have 80,000 members in Air Force Material Command. It's a huge command, one of the largest commands there. And uh, if something is happening to young airmen on the flight line at Edwards Air Force Base or, or at the DFAC at, uh, at Robbins or, you know, on the, on, at the gate, you know, at Wright Pat or in the lab, you know, um, in Maui, you know, I am. We at AFMC are, are not going to know if, if, a, if a, an airman. And when I say airman, you know, military or, or civilian is is having a rough day. It's going to be those fellow wingmen, those airmen, those co-workers that are with them that are going to recognize that. So how do we get those folks to have those conversations, those discussions, and reach out and put their arm around them and say, Hey, how do you do that? Let's go have a cup of coffee. Let's talk. Let's, we're going to get you through this and provide them the resources. Those those wingmen, the resources so they know what they can do when they do run into that. That's what we kind of focus on because we're not going to see those those uh, individuals that are really struggling down in, in those places that I talked about. Uh, but we know that there are others that are working with them that are going to see that. So what we need to do is help prepare them, give them the resources so that they know who to reach out to when those things come up. That's where we kind of put our focus on. Obviously, in your role, and you mentioned like huge command spread out all over the country. And I know even if we just count some of AFRL stuff, it's not even just a bonus. You know, it's like we've got some um, research locations in other parts of the world. But 
how do you stay mentally resilient as you're traveling to 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 meet meet our experts and our airmen? What what do you what steps? Do you yeah, take? so that's a great question. So I will tell you first. Uh, uh, I got a wonderful support system. Um, my wife Rhonda, for uh, she's been in this this journey with me in the Air Force uh, my entire career. She's been with me. We were high school sweethearts, so we've grown up in this Air Force for the last uh, 28 years. Um, and she is she's my rock. She's someone I can lean on. So I'd say that's what I think we need. Is we all need those. We need somebody that we can reach out to. And and she's there to tell me when uh, hey you need to take a step back. You know, uh, sometimes um, if I get out of kilter or if I'm not, if she can look at me and say, hey, you know, you look a little tired today. Or, hey, um, you know, I think you need to kind of take a step back. We spend a lot of time, General Bunch and I spend a lot of time on the road. And we do that because we want to hear from the, our airmen. Uh, being able to sit in, you know, at wright Pat in the headquarters building, uh, we have a lot of great Americans up there and who are every day trying to get after the problems uh, in, in AFMC and really in our bigger Air Force and, and really trying to make us make our Air Force better for the future. Uh, but I think some of the great ideas that we get are from the airmen that are in the field. And it's getting out to talk to them and hear from them. I just spent a few minutes with a couple of airmen here at AFRL at the booth here talking to them. They're inspiring. When you hear their stories, you listen to They're excited to be here at AFA. They've never been to anything like this. And when I sit there and talk to them and listen to them um, and their stories, hear a little bit about their families, why they joined their Air Force, what kept them in our Air Force, that excites me. That's what keeps me going. That's what, uh, you know, that what, that's what makes me want to get on that airplane to travel to that next installation or go talk to them because I know there's great airmen there that are and their families that are working each and every day and they're doing it selflessly on behalf of our nation. I say oftentimes that the talent that we have in our Air Force, the talent, they can do many things. They can make a lot more money uh, with the talents and the skill sets that they have, you know, in the civilian sector. And we as an Air Force, we really as a Department of Defense don't have a big enough budget to pay them really what they're worth. But uh, they do it because they want to serve. They want to do something bigger than themselves. They want to be, uh, they want to be part of a team that's doing incredible things for our nation. So when I think of those airmen that are doing things like that, that inspires me to get, to get up in the morning and put on this uniform and be a little bit better today than I was yesterday. So absolutely. So that's a great question. Thanks. I could I could talk yeah. about that for hours. Oh, sure. It's just like the, the, the purpose that you matter. Yeah, absolutely. You're part of something that's doing some great things. I mean, we just heard from our secretary of the Air Force about some uh, some great things are coming. We talked. To, we heard from our chief of staff and some of the challenges that we have in the future. And it's going to be our airmen that solve those. It's going to be our civilian airmen. It's going to be our military airmen that are going to solve and get after some of those futures. You know, a few years from now, you know, I'm an old chief. I'll, I'll go retire and I'll be going to, but it's going to be those individuals that we're preparing now that's going to come in and, and take over and make sure that we're after our national defense, the, the safety of our nation for years to come because we've got some great airmen that are doing that. So, So something we've already asked um, a few other people. We're not sure in terms of resiliency or even uh, kind of that self-reflective or self-reflective look, excuse me, do you have any uh, books or things that you read that kind of helped this journey? Yeah, so uh, so I, I've read, a, read a, quite a bit of books on uh, just kind of making yourself, looking at yourself in perspective of taking a look at what you do 
Um, and I, I wrote. I, I what I do is I, I keep my list in in my phone because people ask me all the time, and they say, "Hey, chief, you got any good books there?" And and what I do is, and sometimes what I'll hear is from someone else um, who who will ask me and say, "Chief, I've got this great book, and I think you need to take a look at here." But basically, uh, there's the one that I like the most. It talks it talks about taking a look at who you are as an individual. And the name of the book is 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 not coming to my mind right now. I've read it uh, about a year ago, and but the the premise of the book is, uh, oh, I got it. it's the power of moments. Okay. is the name of the book, and really what it opened my eyes to was uh, there's moments in your life that uh, that you we all remember, whether that's your high school graduation, your prom night. Your graduation from college, or something. There's, there's, there's events in your life that make that that have impacted you, um, and they're different for everybody. What I encourage folks to, and what the book talks about is, look, what are those, what are those things in the organizations that we lead that we have the impact to influence those and to make those moments. Uh, whether that's a, a promotion ceremony, we we fully control how that goes. And the impact on that airman that makes it makes a difference. Those are moments uh, that we control within the leadership chain. Uh, whether you're a squadron commander or a squad- material leader, whether you're a wing uh, uh, commander or senior material leader, whatever that is, wherever you fall in any of those, or if you're just if you're a, a you know a first line supervisor, you have the ability to impact people's lives and the power of those moments you can create those moments and that's really what the book gets into it's how do you create a moment that somebody will remember and so i spent uh one of my jobs as a command chief was at dover air force base um and if you're familiar with dover air force base that's the mortuary affairs for uh for the department of defense uh, so meaning that uh, if we have a member who dies uh on the battlefield their remains come back to Dover uh, Air Force Base. So I spent many, many nights on the flight line at Dover, um, standing there, uh, saluting the remains of fallen warriors that are returned back. And those are moments that are embedded in my mind. And we used to talk about all the time, because sometimes we'd have young airmen who have done this so many times it almost becomes routine. And that's sad to say, and we don't like to think of it that way, but they're very professional in how they do it. But one of the things that they would remind me of uh, all the time, they would say, Chief, we're going to go out and do this. We're going to make it look perfect. But if there's one thing, the one thing that we want to make sure is how, uh, you know, with that family who comes in to, to greet their, to welcome their, their loved one home, sometimes they have you know, just found out about this 36 to 48 hours before. So this is new. This is very raw emotions that they're feeling. He said the piece that we want to make sure it's not, they're not going to remember every detail. They're not going to remember the names of the individuals that they spoke to. But what they're going to remember is how you made them feel. When they leave that, the experience that they're going to have is, is how those airmen made that family feel 
And if we leave there, if they leave here with a positive response in the most horrible time of their life when they're welcoming, you know, their loved one back, but if they can, if they can remember that, then we've been successful. And that gets back to the book, The Power of the Moment. Those are powerful moments. And how we utilize those in an individual's lives, in an airman's career, uh, I think can be extremely valuable. Um, so that was, that's a book that really changed my leadership philosophy and really impacted who I am. Um, there was uh, uh, one more that I just read by a guy named Malcolm Gladwell. Basically, it talked about how we judge people. It really looked at how we look at individuals. Sometimes we look at someone, and we are not a very good judge of, of, of character. We like to think we are, but it gave really examples in this book of, of how sometimes it, we have, we've had the best professionals, FBI agents and stuff, who were on a case, and they thought that, and, and they overlooked something that was really obvious in this side because, uh, because they just didn't see it. So that that changed my dynamic of thinking. Uh, thinking, how do I evaluate talent? When I'm looking for someone, when we're trying to hire someone, whether that's my exec, or whether trying to find someone for a position that's of leadership and trust and character, um, we really have to kind of take a look and making sure we're we all come to. Uh, positions with certain biases that we grow up and just being aware of those biases and looking at that and that book was a little bit of an eye opener for me that I hadn't thought about it in in that way it kind of opened my perspective on how we look at people and sometimes we make judgments that we think and we're way off it's kind of like the old the old adage of don't judge a book by its cover, yeah. right? And that's really kind of what it gets at too, and and it kind of helps us examine ourselves and how we think. And I think anything that kind of makes me look at, you know, kind of helps me to kind of look at what I think and maybe reassess that. It's probably a good thing. You know? Absolutely, so, make so. you reflect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So always good to take a step back and kind of reflect on yes, that. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks for taking this time yeah, with thank us you and so sharing much. your experience. Let me just say thanks for what you guys do. I think this is, we, we look for ways to, uh, to get out the message of Air Force Material Command to our airmen um, and what AFRL does, what Air Force Material Command does for, uh, for our Air Force, and just unique ways to do this is always great. So thanks for, uh, for doing this. Thanks for the willingness to kind of step out and bring some, some people in here to, uh, to share the message. We love our Air Force. We love what we're doing, and you guys are a great part of that, too. So thank you. Yeah, we love sharing the message. All right, thanks. <laughs> now we are speaking with Chief Aishan. So, uh, Chief Aishan, thank you for joining us today. No, thanks. Uh, if you'd be able to start things off by saying um, who you are and what you do for the Air Force. Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Ian Aishan. I'm a command chief at the 412th Test Wing. Uh, that's at Edwards Air Force Base, California. So, about 80 miles north of L.A., just outside of uh, Palmdale and Plant 42, and really uh, that whole area kind of the center of of aerospace testing for a long period of time. Um, Edwards, our job really is developmental test um, for the Air Force, mainly on the uh, aerospace side. So really every aircraft in the inventory, we are probably testing it now or have tested it in the past, um, along with we have hypersonics, autonomy, artificial intelligence, and counter UAS also in our portfolio. So if any of those projects come on uh, line and anybody needs anybody to test it, we do that. Um, and then we partner within the uh, operational test side. So we do that first testing and developmental test, pass over to operational test, and then um, try to make sure everything is exactly as it should be before it goes out to the warfighter downrange. 
So you really cover a large scope then almost every day. It's it's one of the weirdest bases because, you know, a normal base you might have F-22s and you have, you know, 50 of the exact same version of an F-22, which is great um, for uh, projecting combat power. Uh, it for instance, we have you know six different F-22s, and they're all a different variant. Um, we've got different variants of F-16s, and then because it is test, um, we have weird variants that only we have because um, it was the jet was modified for a very specific test, maybe a weapons test, uh, maybe an avionics, maybe a radar. Um, whatever they are testing, um, they have to add or take away certain components. So why it might be a, a Block 30 or a Block 40, it's a Block 40 with a mod that only we have, uh, which makes things very, we'll say, challenging for our maintenance folks. Um, I think uh, I tell all the new airmen, it's going to take them a little while, probably longer than their peers, to get spun up and ready to go on that airframe because there are so many variants. Um, however, once they do, they will be far ahead um, of everybody else um, beca- just because they've seen so many different things. Um, and then, uh, for instance, we've been testing the KC-46 for over eight years. However, it just went live to McConnell later or earlier last year. So they're touching it for the first time. They're playing with it for the first time. We've had airmen touching that thing for eight years and, and are really subject matter experts on it. Um, so if you really want to see kind of what the Air Force is doing 10 years from now, much like AFRL, that's what the test center is all about. Absolutely. You guys have some amazing facilities. I mean, rocket stands is just un- unlike any other base anyone would picture, really. It, it is a, it's a weird base. I mean, there's a reason that uh, Chuck Yeager and his whole team went out you know, 50 years ago, oh, 70 years ago, excuse me, uh, to to find this base in the middle of nowhere um, that had this giant lake bed where you could put 15 different uh, airstrips on it and land the space shuttle because, you know, you have a 50,000-foot uh, runway. Um, you can actually see it from space. Um, oh, that is wild. Yep. We it's also have... It, it <laughs> is. And... They, you know, the the earliest shuttle launch. We have a stand sitting on the lake bed right now from uh, when the, the space shuttle landed. We had to build the stand for Ronald Reagan uh, to to see everything that was going on and to, and to view it. The the partnership we've got NASA on base. We have AFRL Rocket Lab on base. We also house the test pilot school, so a master's degree uh, course that uh, trains our test pilots, which then do all of these really dangerous, but uh, you know they, they mitigate that risk, but dangerous things. And then a lot of them go on most of the Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin, and most of the astronauts um, either graduate from our test pilot school or the Naval Test Pilot School. Yeah, we so, had Captain Nyack on the earlier yes, episode yeah. who yeah. was going to test pilot school. school. Yeah, it's a, it's, I wouldn't want to do it, but the, really the coolest thing, um, so I can sit with our wing commander and most people, if you're jumping into a new airframe for the first time, mm-hmm. you might go through months of academics and then months of right seat, left seat, and you don't fly that plane for maybe six months in. And, and that's after you're a trained pilot. Um, whereas, you know, one of these experienced test pilots, they can look at a plane, they can, somebody can kind of talk to them for about an hour, and then they jump in and fly for the first time. I can't um, even imagine. I can't either. <laughs> I see it. Uh, my last commander, he did his finny flight in a C-17, never flown a, F- a C-17. Oh, my goodness. And so we did about an hour of briefing. He sat in. He said, yep, yeah, I kind of get this. Um, but because of... Uh, in test pilot school, they fly about 22 different airframes. Um, and even their capstone, you have to go overseas, and maybe you go to France or you go to Japan, and you fly a Mirage 2000. So you see, you fly something completely foreign using all the fundamental principles that you learned in test pilot school. Um, and you can say uh, it handles kind of like this plane. Uh, it, it rises like this plane. It accelerates like this plane. And they have so many um, different planes that they can compare it to. They just kind of pick and choose which ones they use and which, of the, which ones of those principles. Uh, the other thing is they get very we'll say academic when they fly if a test pilot is flying he's probably he's talking about flying in an equation yeah. um, because everything is, is really a, a calculus and physics equation and, and they, they do that equation first to figure out exactly how much thrust and how much lift and everything they're going to get rather than just saying if I, if I move this fast and the wing shape a certain way I get that lift and so they take it to a whole other level which I guess is why they 
it's a master's degree course, um, and every one of them are some of the smartest pilots I've ever met. I mean, it's just amazing to sit next to them. Oh, it's huge. And um, kind of going back to what you mentioned earlier, having a base with people like NASA, our teams at AFRL, um, what is it like working with so many minds from different organizations or sections of the Air Force? And uh, what is it like having that many people at one place? It's uh, it's great in the sense that you have you have subject matter experts in almost anything. Um, in my last job, I was in the 480th ISR wing, which is a great wing, but we were really getting into uh, data science and artificial intelligence and cloud, which was awesome. Um, we had some airmen who were who were trained in this stuff. Um, however, if I look at the 412, I have data scientists everywhere. There's engineers everywhere. Um, and so having that level of expertise, now we already have the, the subject matter expertise. Now we just need to get them um, hooked up with maybe new training or more training or more opportunities to use their expertise to try new things. And so now we're focusing a lot more on um, trying to build a continuum of makers across the base. So use most of our innovation money. We use it on professional development um, because we know more than likely the, the widget or the cool thing that they're making, the chances of it working are, are low, or at least the first time. Um, it's simply a prototype that we need to iterate from. Um, but if we focus on their professional development, we build them spaces and sandboxes for them to continually train and fail without you know, it really hurting anybody, um, then at some point, that person that we've invested in is going to make the thing that we need. Um, knowing that it could take a day, it could take a year, we don't know. Um, but by really trying to focus all of our money and all of our time on professional development of the force, which does look a little different when we're talking about um, scientists and engineers, because the majority of them, or at least ours, are civilian, and we have an entirely different set of rules and challenges um, when it comes to civilian education, civilian professional development. Are they wage grade? Are they GG? Are they GS? Are they bargaining unit? All of those are different, and because there's uh, legal and ethical rules around it, there's things that I can do with an active duty member that I cannot do with a bargaining unit. And so um, while still wanting to invest in those airmen and their development, um, we just have to be a little bit more creative in how we get that done. Um, but the at the end of everything, trying to make sure that these are all different, um, but still airmen coming to this mission and trying to conduct tests for the Air Force. When you talk about investing in people, uh, some of the focus of this specific episode of our podcast is talking about resiliency and building that in, in our airmen, whether they're an uh, enlisted officer, you know, civilian. Um, can you talk to us about what you do in that arena? Sure. Um, so resiliency has been a thing that I mean, the whole Air Force has been talking about it. Coming from the the Intel world, Intel at one point was one of the highest in suicidal ideation and um, depression and a lot of these warning signs um, years ago. And so our wings did a did a lot of con- we had a very concerted effort to make sure that we um, there wasn't one thing that would fix it, but just tried a lot of different things, and each one helped a little bit. Um, one thing we've been doing is we are establishing teams of what we call resiliency teams, but you know, a chaplain, a psych. Airmen and Family Readiness Center, a counselor maybe, and getting them where airmen need them instead of them being a office, some, you know, an office somewhere on base. They are that, and that's kind of their headquarters. But they also have an office on the flight line, and they also have an office with security forces. And instead of being this person that you come to for the first time when you have a problem, they become a member of that team that we talk to about a game that we talk to and we go have fun with, and, and they're one of our team who also has some expertise in this. And so now, instead of that, you know, trying to introduce all of your problems for the first time to a chaplain you don't know, it's somebody you've been hanging out with, and they just happen to have chaplain skills. Um, it, it lowers that barrier to entry, um, and it allows people to feel a little bit more comfortable with them. Um, one of the things with uh, Edwards is we feel that almost all of those problems um, come from a lack of community. It was said here as well. So everything we do is centered around community. 
we worked really hard to get a, a wing stop on base. It's the first wing stop in the DOD. And it's cool to be able to say that, but what that really means is we have something on base for airmen to go to, to hang out and watch the game and have a beer and eat some wings and, and do something neat that they can't do at any other base and do it together. Because we figure, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if you're going to have a relationship issue or a financial issue or a family issue. I don't know, but chances are you will have something happen in your life. I don't know what it's going to be. Um, so it's really hard to train you uh, to be ready for the thing that we don't know. Um, but if we can establish a community uh, of people and things so that when you do deal with whatever it is, you're able to come back and, and you have this group of people that can surround you and bring you back when you're ready. Um, and so everything we do is building that community, putting internet in the dorms to make sure our airmen have, uh, they come in because we're, we're kind of far from things. Cell phone service might not be the greatest. And so to be able to come in and still talk to your family and still use social media and keep that community alive until you can develop your own in the dorms with your friends and your, your new friends, um, trying to bring electric scooters on the base and bring a scooter share so that when you show up, if you don't have the greatest sponsor, which we all know never happens at all but it does um that you can still get to the bx and you can still get to these places to hang out with other people um you know we have a group of people that are online gaming like all these different things are to build that level of community so that whatever happens you have at least friends um or acquaintances that can help you through it until you're ready and then it's your turn to kind of support the one next to you because it's just it will happen it is inevitable it's just how do we prepare for that um and then make sure that we're ready when uh when it does happen so touching on some of those threads then, um, what advice do you have for airmen who may be looking for help or maybe seeking that assistance? It's really, find it wherever you can. Um, there's, this is why we are active, so active on social media. Um, between Reddit and Facebook, I even have a MySpace page. If you want to go to MySpace, yeah, 412th. Test Wing Command Chief on MySpace. Doesn't have a lot of friends. Um, Tom is no longer there, and so we can't. He, he did. He sold the company. Um, but So I don't have any connections yet on MySpace, but on Facebook and Reddit um, and on Xbox Live and these other mediums, um, there's airmen on there. And if that's where they are and that's where they want to talk, that's where we'll talk. And so you'll see somebody post, hey, I'm, I'm not doing well. And, uh, and it's nice because they can do that anonymously, so they feel safe in doing it. And then we can talk. There's, there's multiple airmen that we talk to and that I'm talking to now, and we're texting back and forth. I have no idea who they are. I know their username, and that is it. And then I know things about their life that they've chosen to tell me. Um, from there, we can either I can help them as a command chief and say, hey, here's my advice, or, hey, I have somebody who can actually give you or help you with this thing. And if I can't do that, because uh, as a command chief, I don't make a lot of decisions. I, I influence things. But, um, but what I can do is now I'm a partner with you on this journey. So you're not dealing with this thing alone. And then I can use what, what I know and what in my network to help you try to deal with it. Again, to build that community around you, even though it may just be virtual. Um, and so we really try to um, get on there. And especially if you're feeling, you know, uh, a week ago we had an airman jump on and say, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in a bad place. I'm, I'm hurting and I'm in a bad place. I have no idea who this airman is, but we start talking back and forth. And at some point we find out they like to play video games. So we move that conversation to Xbox Live. And now we can play PUBG or Call of Duty or Rocket League or whatever they want to play um, and still have that conversation. And it's still anonymous for them as long as their Xbox Live handle isn't first name, last name. Yeah. Um, we can still have that conversation. And now, it's, now we're talking. And the more that I can get them not thinking about that and just talking to a friend, um, it, it at least gives them some time. I can kind of assess them and figure out where they're at. Um, and then provide support if they need it and if they, if they really need it and really want it. And then hopefully we can schedule another time. Hey, let's play tomorrow. 
now we have something to look forward to because I don't know what kind of community they have at that base. And this is, I love the fact that uh, social media and this online presence, it's, it's not good, I don't think, to be completely online 100% of the time, but there is a lot of value uh, to that community if that's what you have. And so we've been working really hard uh, to try to establish you know, the, the quintessential uh, open-door policy. We all, you know, every, every good chief, every good commander has an open-door policy, but the problem is I'm here right now. I'm not at my office, and so my doors might be open. I don't know. I'm not there. But if you were to walk in it, I'm not there. But I am on Xbox Live, and I am on Reddit, and I am on Facebook, and I'm on MySpace, and I'm on, there's a million ways to get a hold of me. Um, so that open door is virtual, which also allows um, people who aren't stationed on Edwards uh, to also walk through that door um, if they need to. Wow, I had no idea. Like, I mean, Xbox Live. I mean, you're really meeting people where, where Very much at so. and yeah. where they're comfortable. And it's fun. You get to you establish that relationship, and then they open up, and then you can go on to mentorship if necessary. And at the very least, now you just you're, you're talking to a whole other group of airmen from another AFSC, from another base, from another Magicom who has an entirely new or different set of challenges and problems, and use what we know and the advice that we have, maybe to at least uh, give them the next step. Uh, another interesting thing we're doing with resiliency um, is we've got actually two SIBRs right now really focused on um, resiliency. One of the ones I'm most excited with is we um, partnered. Uh, can I talk about the company name if we're partnering with them? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. So we partnered with a company called ABZ Labs. And uh, if you guys have messed with SIBRs, a lot of companies will come in and say, your problem, use my widget, and it's done. It's solved. And sometimes they're right, but sometimes they're not. ABZ Labs, one of the interesting things about them is both of their um, co-founders is their IDEO designers. So they went to IDEO, which is a, a design institute or really a design consultant company um, in San Francisco. They're very popular, very famous. Um, they partnered with uh, the Stanford D School. There's a lot of, um, we'll call it, merging between the two. A lot of the um, IDEO designers also taught at the D school and vice versa. And so they're just very friendly. Um, and when we get into design, not just functional design of, of things, but of um, processes and culture and organizational design, they're, they're probably some of the premier um, ones. We actually took a lot of training from IDEO, um, which is why you know I can talk about them. But ABZ Labs came in and said, okay, here's your problem. And one of the consultants actually tried to say, yeah, just use our thing and it's solved. And, and they actually stopped him and they said, I don't know. We know things, but I need to dig into your problem face-to-face. -face. I need to come down here and actually spend three days or four days with your airmen seeing the problem firsthand. And then I think based on what we know, we may be able, we'd like to try to design you a solution. Absolutely. I loved it because they were honest. They have no idea if they could solve it, but they wanted it was a it was one of the wicked problems that they wanted to try, and, and it really spoke to them. Um, and so what they've done is they, they're kind of I don't want to say out there, but it's very different from everything that I've ever seen. And they focus on digital nutrition, and so the idea that uh, everything we see and everything we hear kind of at some point you need to cleanse that palate. And if you see the right things and if you hear the right things at the right time, um, it can release dopamine and it can release GABA and it can release these things um, that can help calm you and help make you happy. Um, I don't think it works for everybody, but there is a group of people that it will work for. And so if we can establish all these different tools and the thing that works for you, now you have it. Or a supervisor has it at their disposal and we have something else for you. We just have this massive toolkit. Um, I think there's goodness there. And so what they did is they took uh, their very good UI and UX and built this app that's now being tested by the military. Really, these people that are on shift work that may be on shift and on nights um, for, for weeks or months or sometimes years at a time doing uh, remote combat-related stuff from home station. You know, you're doing this thing where you're wired into a combat theater, 
and then the very, you know, bombs on target type stuff, and then the very next moment you're going to a kid's soccer game, and there's this weird transition that has to happen, and if you don't do it right, that'll wear on you. And so this is why we need this uh, embedded team, you know, resiliency teams right with you to see your problem, to see what's going on so you can talk to. And then this tool is another thing. I don't know if it's going to work, but we're really excited about what it's doing. And at the very least, it's opening up the conversation between industry uh, and the military on resiliency and on different ways, and it's letting us try these new things. And that was made possible uh, through AFRL, through the CIBR program, and the fact that uh, through AFWorks and CIBR and all these teams working yeah, together, small business, yeah. yep, they, uh, they put... They took care of the hard stuff for airmen, which is contracting and, and the legal and ethical reviews, because I can't do that. I'm not trained. Um, but I, I am a user, and I have a ton of users as airmen who have problems. And so they, they, they added this really cool capability and gave it down to the lowest level on an airman that has problems. And now that airman is, is able to be part of the user design process and validate. And then at some point, if it makes sense, it will go back up through that system. Um, and we'll palm and we'll try to figure out how to make it a thing um, and you know deploy and scale. But at least in the meantime, we have a team of people who are really trying hard to help us solve our problems. And even that process, we're learning a lot. And airmen are able to, to kind of com- confront what they're dealing with uh, throughout it. So um, it's a, it's a, I don't want to say weird, it's atypical, we'll say, um, but there's going to be a group of airmen that it works for. Absolutely. And so I can't wait to see it. I'm actually, we downloaded it. It went out live about two weeks ago. I've got it on my phone. I've been using it every day. And uh, we've got different shifts using it. The other nice thing about it is trying to figure out where people are at. So, you know, if I were to ask you, hey, could you fill out the survey for me? That might take a while. But instead, you jump on. And it goes, how are you feeling? And there's just a little slider. You slide up higher if you're really happy, and you slide down lower if you're not so happy. And then you do it again tomorrow. And you do it again tomorrow, and your whole shift does it. And so as a leader, we can start to see, whoa, my night shift is doing all right. They're on an uptrend or they're on a downtrend. What's going on? Now, wow. it's just an indicator. It doesn't tell me why. But now as a leader or a manager, I could find, go through the forensics necessary to go, why? Was it, was it exceptionally stressful? Is there something else going on? Are people not eating? Are they not sleeping? Did we just change shifts? You know, what are the causal factors of that? Um, and then how do we mitigate that in the future? And so it, it's an indicator that we just don't have in any other way. And then at the same time, once you drag your slide bar, now you enter into this portal to start trying to use this to see, if I use this, does that bar go up or down? Um, and I think some are going to see it as uh, kind of weird and kind of kooky and Maybe, uh, but but I think there's a huge chunk of people that are going to really like it. And, and even if they don't, we're going to learn a lot, and we're going to use that to iterate and move to the next step of whatever that is. So yeah. it's, a, it's a different look and a different take on resiliency, but it's, again, building community, under, making sure leaders understand what's going on, um, and then adding all that together to hopefully take care of as many people as possible. Yeah, and as we've heard, there's no single answer for resiliency. There's many different avenues to take, and this is great because you mentioned it's personal, customizable, and anonymous. People need that in some cases to really open up. Yep. And that's honestly brilliant. Well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. Right. It's, uh, yeah. we're, we're learning a lot, um, and it, it, the fact that we're talking about this is just another step. We're, we're talking about resiliency more and more, and so just bringing it out into the open, um, I think, helps people feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, I've been in units in the past where uh, you had to go talk to a psych. That was just part. It's like your physical checkup. You go to a PHA, you got to do your dental, you got to talk to the psych. That's just standard. Now, just like at the at dental or at your PHA, they may look at you and go, "Hey, you need a specialist." And now, you know, maybe your heart's off or you have something else going on. Um, But you do that, the same thing with your mind. You talk to a psych and they kind of evaluate you in about 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and they go, 
something's going on. I need you to go to a specialist. And then you go to a specialist and you deal with whatever that is. Um, but you get this triage done once a year just to make sure you're good. Um, and the greatest thing about that is everybody did it. It was standard. It wasn't like I had to hide it that I was going to talk to a site because everybody talked That's to the normal. site. It was part of the job. Um, and so any sort of you know negative connotation that may come from talking to mental health or talking to uh, an expert is removed because we all do it. Yeah. From the commander to the chief down, everybody does it. And if you need to go talk to a specialist, it's like having a messed up knee. I don't know, it's just you need to fix your knee. You're going to go through rehab. If you need to go through some sort of inpatient to fix whatever's going on with you, you need it. But when you remove that connotation, it's amazing how many people are willing to come out and talk about it. Um, and actually, again, share, because it's not embarrassing to have to talk to a psych. It's normal. Um, and so now people share more. Now they have a larger community because they're not hiding it from anybody. Um, and it just is kind of cyclical how it helps each other. So, um, again, just another piece of you know trying to help with this resiliency thing. Yeah, that really should be the case. Or like a lot of people have a stigma about it, and there really shouldn't be one, like you said. It should yeah. be normal. So I totally agree. And breaking that boundary is super important going forward for airmen and beyond. Yeah, I completely agree. So we want to thank you for sharing some like different things uh, you're doing uh, to address resiliency for our airmen. No, I appreciate you giving us the, the opportunity. Next, we are speaking to Chief Wade. Good. Chief Wade, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Um, this is a great venue to get out there and talk to senior leaders, and I'm proud to be part of it. It's great, yeah. Really cool that we could catch you during this time at AFA. Yeah. So um, you're part of the Air Combat Command. Could you yeah. explain what your role is within ACC? So I'm the Command Chief for Air Combat Command. So what we do is we organize, train, and equip um, joint airmen to control and exploit the airspace and electromagnetic magnetic spectrum. I mean, that's really what we do in Air Combat Command. We're an OT&E command, and uh, what I do specifically for uh, COMAC is I'm a liaison between him and the enlisted force, and I'm focused on that health, morale, welfare, um, good order and discipline of, of the entire force in Air Combat Command. Um, proud to do it. Um, it's the best job I've ever had. That's awesome. So you're really like focusing on the people in, in your job. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I wear a patch on my sleeve. Uh, right here and it says people first mission always and you know we take that seriously that's more than just uh, saying to us you know when we're out and about and I'm, I'm visiting the wings in air combat command you know I'm going to talk about that patch a little bit and I'm going to say hey I want people to feel like that is our mantra and that is important to us not that we say it not that I wear it on my sleeve but our wings know that hey, in air combat command I feel like it's people first mission always so can you kind of tell us what a normal day would look like for you, or is that even possible? I imagine it has to change pretty rapidly. Um, I'd say a normal day is, is probably on the road. I'm on the road probably 50 to 70% of my time. I mean, ACC's got uh, 35 wings out there. There's 27 that are uh, enduring wings, and then we've got eight expeditionary wings out there. So we've got 35 total. We're looking at, you know, 93,000 airmen and civilians in Air Combat Command. Um, so our mission's global. It's all over the place. Um, air superiority, rescue, um, precision ground attack, cyber intel. Um, we have just tons of mission, and it's very exciting. So on the road, seeing those teams is really the most important thing I do. I cannot be a good advocate for Air Combat Command. I cannot call myself the senior enlisted leader for Air Combat Command if I don't have the voice of Air Combat Command. And the only way to do that is getting out there and seeing people. 
So seeing people traveling and then just uh, managing the human resource, managing any issue that comes up. I mean, it can be really anything. Uh, managing my email and advocating for our airmen and our missions uh, in that organized, train, and equip role. There's gaps every day, right? I mean, people wake up every single day with a gap between my requirements and the resources I have to fulfill those requirements. And it's my job to get out there, understand those, and help help resource our leaders as best I can. So travel, resourcing our, our airmen with uh, everything they need to do their job, that's that's a senior enlisted leader shop. And we talk about everything that our airmen need to do their job. That probably includes things like re- resiliency and is what we're kind of focusing on this episode. Can you talk to us about how you um, try to help your airmen be more resilient? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I would say that resiliency is one of those topics. There's a couple things I like to talk about when I'm not talking to airmen in combat, air combat command. Um, one of them is innovation. Resiliency is something that every time it comes up, you know, we're going to, that's probably going to dominate the rest of the conversation. Everybody wants to talk about resiliency. Everybody's concerned with it. I love the attention that we're giving it in Air Combat Command because that's the right thing. The airmen want to talk about it. I'm talking about it. And I want to share with you, you know, kind of my message. My message is really three things. I want every airman in Air Combat Command to know three things. First thing is somebody knows me. Something very simple. Somebody knows me. I was at an event um, not too long ago. This was at Andrews. It was our command chief orientation. We had a speaker up front, and he had the beginning of a sentence, and he gave it to all these um, new command chief candidates out there. He said, if you're going to lead me, you must, and then it was open-ended. He gave everybody a minute to think about that, and then he went around the entire room, and there's like a 100 of them in there, right? What did you say? What did you say? What did you say? One thing that stuck out to me, now there were a lot of answers in there, okay? But one thing that really stuck out to me was, if you're going to lead me, you must know me. That's what they said. You got to start with, hey, you got to know who I am, Mm -hmm. right? Something really simple. So I think, hey, I think every airman in Air Combat Command needs to say, hey, somebody knows who I am. We are 332,800. That's our top line this year in REGAF Air Force. That's the size we're going to be. I cannot imagine an airman feeling alone in an organization that's 332,000 strong. And I don't want any airman in our organization to say, I feel alone here. So they got to say, somebody knows me. The second thing I want them to be able to say is, somebody cares about me. Not only do they know me, but I know genuinely in my core that this person cares about me, knows who I am, cares about my development, cares about me personally as a human. I need everybody airman to say every airman to say somebody somebody cares about me. Absolutely. And this one might be the most important. They gotta be able to say somebody needs me. I remember hearing another speaker who said he told a story about a high school in Colorado, affluent neighborhood, had issues with suicide. There was like an attempt, there were some ideations and they felt like, hey, we've got Uh, an epidemic going here with suicide and needs our attention. So he goes there, he talks to all these kids that are having some issues and he found out their families were good families, two parent families, middle to upper class um, households. Um, They were good students. They were popular students. They were um, athletes, 
They were in clubs. They had social connections. That's what was throwing everybody off. It just didn't fit their minds of what they think someone who would think about suicide would be like, right? Not these kids. And he came back and he said, hey, I talked to all these kids and here's what they told me. Somebody loves me. I absolutely know that without question. I am loved. But nobody needs me. They said, nobody needs me. I think every airman in Air Combat Command, I want them to know that we need them to come to work tomorrow. They are, every airman is an important part of our team. And they have to know that in their guts. Every single day, when they leave work and they come back in the morning, they go, they need me here. My team needs me to be here. If an airman can say, somebody knows me, somebody cares about me, and I'm needed, I think that does a lot for their inner strength and their resiliency. Right? At least when it comes to thinking about doing the, the ultimate thing and taking their own life. Right? It's really hard to do that, I think, if they can say that. So resi- that's my message when I'm out talking to airmen. And I think it resonates with them. Um, I think everybody at one time or another has felt, hey, lonely or not needed or maybe more trouble than they're worth. And, and I think that um, for the most part, they can, they can relate to that. And, they, and they, they're going to do something about it. Right? Because they can relate to it. They felt that way. They're going to act on that. That's what I talk about when I'm out with uh, our airmen and we're talking about resiliency. Everybody wants to have, like, purpose. Like, when when you got to the third part, I was thinking, like, purpose. Like, there's a reason for me to come to work today or to be present for your family or whatever you think in your life. It's not just about work. I mean, that's a huge part of our mission and everything. Absolutely. I mean, Daniel Pink wrote a book, you know, called Drive, and he talks about mastery, autonomy, and purpose, right? Having purpose in your life. I think is is a is a very important part of uh, resiliency, and uh, it makes people strong. It makes them be able to bounce back. And with the three major points you hit, you talk to a lot of airmen about this. Is this a really big point mm-hmm. you drive for leadership to really promote that message and repeat that, and especially show that to the people under them? Um, you know that's a great question. I'm not sure if you know if any of my peers or or even you know senior NCOs take that message and make it their own and talk to talk to other airmen about it. Um, I hope they do. Um, I know I get good feedback when I'm out there talking to airmen like that. Yeah, it felt powerful here today. Honestly, like, yeah, no, that was fantastic. Good. good. It's great. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Hey, can I use this uh, this podcast too to kind of push something that we're trying in ACC called the bridge? Please, absolutely. Right. So we had resiliency tactical pause, and. Um, hey, we wanted to use that as a forum to go, hey, what are we not thinking of, right? I'm 45 years old. I've been around a long time. You know, I don't have all the answers about what's going on today with our young people. There's some gaps out there in our knowledge probably, and we're going, hey, what can we do? So we took that um, time to go, hey, let's take a look at this. What can we do in ACC? We created a website called ACC's The Bridge. And what that does is we want to bridge communities, we want to bridge people together, um, we want to give uh, a resource to all our airmen and air combat command, and and it's brand new. We just started it, but it's a one-stop resource page, and and obviously initially, what we have is a bunch of links to helping agencies, right? So you'll you'll have military one source on there. You'll have mental health, airman family readiness centers, MRTs, chaplains, RTAs, right? There's a link to that all these airmen can click on, and families too, right? I tested this out. It's brand new. I typed it in on my pad on my, you know, my civilian machine just to make sure that I can get to it because it's for families too, right? And we want them to have these resources as well, and they can get to it. 
there's three links on there with equip, engage, and empower. Um, equip is just leadership tools. Right there, you'll see you'll see a message from General Goldfein about res- resiliency. That video is on there. You'll see the message from the Chief Master Sergeant in the Air Force. Right. Um, you'll see uh, invisible wounds paper in there. Resilience uh, tactical playbook is loaded under equip for for leaders. There's another banner where um, you can engage, and this has like chats. It's a place for people to come in. If you've seen in Facebook, they got the Airman NCO Senior NCO page. And there's, that's used a lot for airmen to chat with each other and families to chat with each other and talk about situations at work, and it's pretty popular. I mean, it pops up on my feed. This is a place in ACC for people to get on, and, um, you know, you can chat with each other. You can connect with each other. That's the goal. Um, and they, we also have bulletins on, on things like compassion, courage, humility, sleep quality, road rage, all those things, you know, make yourself more healthy overall, right? Yeah, there's, some, there's some tools there. So that's on the engage part, and lastly, empower. Again, this is new. We don't have a lot on the empower part yet, but this is just a place to showcase best practices, right? If we go and visit Shaw, maybe they've got a best practice that we want to share with everybody else, and we can package something up and put it on our website. Maybe it's Seymour Johnson, Tyndall, Nellis, what have you, but we're going to have a place, a repository for, hey, if you don't have the great ideas, they're out there. We want you to at least see what other people are doing, yeah. right? So... That's something that we're working on, and I want to bring it up just to say, hey, maybe you're not an ACC airman and you're listening to this podcast. You don't need to be an ACC airman. You can see it, and I think it would be really powerful if it wasn't just a MAGCOM page, but it was a squadron page, it was a flight page, it was a group page, it was a wing page, and they just kind of pop up everywhere, and everybody has their own community, their own links, their own place to connect, their own place to engage, their own place to empower leaders. Um, I think it's, it's something that we're going to try in ACC. We'll see how it goes. And uh, I'd like to see others, you know, take a look at what we're doing. And if you think it's worth it, you know, implement it at your level, whatever level that might be. Yeah, the more we facilitate that message and a network for people to go on, I totally back it up. That makes sense. Absolutely. Are, are there any other, um, well, tools or, or, or processes or advice that you give to airmen about so that they can be more mentally resilient? Yeah, I mean, there are a couple things that that pop into mind. One's we still need to we still need to foster the idea that getting help is is a sign of strength. There's still there's still this idea that permeates through our air force that you have to be perfect. You can't ever take a knee. You can't ever have a bad day, or that says something about you personally. You're not strong. You can't hack it. You can't cut it, or whatever. Um, we still need to get over that and just understand that it happens to everybody. We just have to admit that. Senior leaders have to admit that. I have to admit that I've had bad days. I have to admit that I've gone and sought out help from professionals, mental health counselors. I've been there. I've absolutely been there. It is just a matter of time. If we're really honest with each other, it is just a matter of time. Maybe you nugged through it. Maybe you forged through it and you found a way and you got through your issue, but you could have went and sought some help and maybe you could have you could have gotten better faster, right? So I think everybody has issues. We just all need to accept that. And if we encourage people to get help, maybe they get better faster, they're back on step, and they're helping out the next term when they have an issue, yeah. right? So that's that's a big part. Getting help is a sign of strength. Um, and the idea that, uh, that getting help hurts your career. You know, the stats really don't support that. Um, you can get help in our Air Force and, and still go on and have a career. Um, it happens all the time. Uh, so I throw that out there. 
uh, to think about, you know, what success look like. It's not never having an issue, okay? Success is having an issue and getting the help that you need and getting back up on step and learning a couple things and maybe helping the next person that has an issue. That's really success here. You shouldn't be afraid to take mental health days and, like you said, really reflect and That's find right. the help you need. That's right. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. That's very inspiring, and people are really going to connect with this message. You're welcome. Thanks again for having me. I hope everybody enjoyed listening in, and I look forward to the next time. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks. And last but not least, we speak to Chief Barbie. So, Chief Barbie, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. This, Like I said, this is my first podcast, so I'm excited. So. Yeah, we're, we're glad to have you. Absolutely. Uh, and you're the perfect guest for this episode on, on resiliency. Um, could you explain what you do for the Air Force? Yeah, so I'm the Senior Enlisted Advisor for the Directorate of Air Force Integrated Resilience. And what we do there, uh, Brigadier General Tudor is our director, and we are responsible for the policy oversight and guidance for the Air Force's Suicide Prevention Program, the Sexual Assault Prevention Response Program, uh, and overall resiliency programming as well. One thing we're also responsible for is um, what's called, used to be called Task Force True North, and now it's, it's, we've transitioned to just True North. And really what that is is it's, it's a, a concept and a model and a framework where we start to embed uh, various helping agencies at the unit level, uh, specifically at the squadron and the group level. And really the, the, the point there is we really took uh, inspiration from SOCOM's Preservation of the Force and Family concept and uh, recognizing the, the positive impacts that the proximity to our airmen actually on the line doing the mission uh, and getting those helping resources where, where they operate on a daily basis uh, is, is critical to helping them build resilience. So my, my role there is just to advise the director uh, and bring sort of that, that enlisted perspective um, coming from the, the tactical realm, how does what we're doing up there and what we're thinking about from a policy perspective what does that look like when it translates down to the, the airmen and their families on the line? So, so that's my role. It's a good perspective because you, you've, you've uh, throughout your career, you've, you've come to this point where you, you know what the airmen are experiencing at all levels. Yeah, I, I think the, the longer you stay in if, uh, and, the, and the older you get, both in, in age and, and as you progress in, in rank and leadership positions, I think um, you really need to stay grounded. Um, and, and for me, that that. that tends to come pretty natural. Um, I always, you know, remind myself to, you know, don't forget where you came from. Um, you know, pick up the brass and take out the trash, you know. Um, I, I still do those things, not um, to prove anything to anybody. That's just the kind of the way I lead uh, my own life uh, from, a, from a position of humility. And so um, I try to bring that perspective to the, to the directorate and the team. Uh, again, when we're talking about things that... that could eventually impact our airmen and families on the line, get, actually doing the mission. Absolutely. And can you speak on, um, you, you touched on resiliency earlier, um, what you've done with the Air Force. Is there any specific um, either uh, organizations, um, things you've pushed out, or even um, different protocols that have changed the past year to really help with airmen resiliency? One of the big ones I would say is is, is True North. Um, you know, we have our, one of the, the colonels up there in our directorate is, and, and our team all, Obviously, our entire team had a big hand in, uh, under the, the direction of the vice chief, uh, transitioning in, into a more sustainable uh, model. We did a, a short beta test uh, at four bases in the Air Force, and uh, we quickly realized that uh, the positive impacts that that proximity has on, on, uh, with those helping agencies to the airmen. 
And so uh, it wasn't a hard decision for our senior leadership. Obviously, uh, you know, the chief of staff, chief master in the Air Force, vice chief. I mean, every time you hear them talk, they talk about resilience, right? And, and uh, encouraging help-seeking behaviors and encouraging our airmen and families and, and our leadership to really build connections. And so I would say that the, the biggest thing is um, putting forth uh, the POM submission to, to expand uh, True North, um, to, to just more beyond the, those four bases, so I think um, I think that's been a, that's been probably one of the bigger ones. The other thing I would uh, I would offer is the which a lot of people don't really know exists is uh, our resilience website, and so we we started that um, in October of 2018, and uh, so it's a it's a, about a year and a half old at this point. What that has is it basically serves as a repository for information, resources, um, as it pertains to your resilience. Uh, not just suicide prevention, but sexual assault prevention and, and just overall resilience in general from a comprehensive airman fitness uh, perspective. So I think those two things, to answer your question, um, I think we've really pushed the ball forward you know, over the last 12 to 18 months in those two areas. And what was the address for that website? Yeah, thanks. So it's www.resilience.af.mil. And that's accessible by any uh, mobile device. Uh, you don't have to be on a government network. Um, so, and, and we were purposeful on that because um, we wouldn't make sure that families were able to access it and uh, you know check out the info that's on there as well. Anywhere, anytime. Yep, anywhere, anytime. And then uh, for some of our listeners that might not be as familiar with how the Air Force uses the word resiliency, what does it mean for our airmen to be resilient? I'll give you my opinion. Uh, resilience for, for our airmen is is preparing yourself for the worst case scenario. Um, you know, and from a, a war fighting service, like just like everyone in the DoD, um, our worst day could come on and could come on the battlefield, um, or it could come right outside these doors. You know, we don't we never know. And so, how are we mentally, physically, spiritually, and socially prepared? To, to meet that threat uh, when, it, when it occurs, because the enemy always gets a vote. Uh, we don't always get to choose when those moments happen. And so for me, it's, it's what are we doing every single day to, to build individual resilience so that we are best positioned and best postured uh, to perform when that time comes. And not only from, for, from an individual survivability perspective, but from a, a team performance and, and team survivability perspective. So that's what I think it means uh, to our airmen, but I, I guarantee you, you ask a thousand people here, they'll give you a different answer on what resilience means to them. And um, because it's a human, you know, it's an individual thing. Um, and so, what what might stress me out probably don't wouldn't stress you guys out, and vice versa. And so, uh, part of, of, in my opinion, building resilience is is taking a good hard look in the mirror, um, self reflecting on on what my deficiencies are as a human, and then uh, being proactive and seeking ways to, to shore those up and, and get better for, for me, my team, and my family. So you touched on um, mental resiliency um, as, a, as, a, as a pillar of the overall resiliency, and you, looking in the mirror, is anything you recommend um, that your airmen do to be, be mentally resilient, or things that you actively do to, I know, rest and recover, or, yeah. or be sharper? Yeah, great question. So uh, my career is is uh, a, a bit unique in, in terms of um, I was say placed in, in a lot of different 
events and scenarios where um, stress was placed upon me, right, for purposeful reasons, whether it was assessment selection or some sort of training course or, or something like that. So there, there was already stress that was getting pushed on you. And so uh, those were great opportunities for me, uh, even though it sucked, to really understand who I was as a person um, and, and understand where my weaknesses were. Where the, and I will be honest with you, um, for me, it, most, for most people, it's, it's the mental aspect of things that, that kind of holds us back from our, our true potential. And so I would suggest that, that we just be honest with ourselves. And I think it starts with that good, hard look in the mirror. Because um, you can't lie to yourself. Um, right. You know, you, you can try to pull a fast one on other people that might not know you. But uh, deep down inside, like, you, you know uh, either you got more to give or you're not, you're not performing at your, your full potential. And so it takes, it takes a lot of self-reflection, a lot of self-discipline. Uh, to be able to do things that, that you don't really want to do. Um, I think as, as humans, we're inherently lazy. Um, and then I think in this day and age, um, you know, we live in a vast world of luxury where you can literally you never have to leave your home if you didn't want to. I mean, Amazon will deliver stuff in 24 hours. Um, and I think that's hurt us, and this is my opinion, where... We lose the connection with our teammates, um, with our families and friends, which uh, we all know is a, is a, is a uh, strength. And then that connection with people is actually a, a positive thing that, that helps mitigate stress. And uh, so I think it just comes out to, to understanding yourself and, and working on the things that you know you're not good at. What would you say are some of the major successes you've seen with these programs, or at least since you've been working here with Resiliency? Yeah, I don't know if I could point to one specific, um, you know, like attaboy. What I would say is that, especially since last August when when the Air Force, when we did this resilience tactical pause, um, it it got us talking about it more, you know. And and I'll be the first to tell you, like, uh, you know, program, a website, uh, an app on your phone. Like, when we're talking about suicide, like, those aren't going to stop suicides. That's not going to save somebody's life. But, but I, I do believe that um, the connections we make as, as wingmen uh, in the Air Force, the connections, that, the strong bonds socially that we have with our, our family and our friends, um, those, those, you know, those will save people's lives, in my opinion. Um, and so I think if, uh, again, the, the resilience tactical pause, it, it, it brought at least the conversation to the table in a, in a manner that uh, in my opinion, starts to make it more normal to talk about um, because it, it is a hard conversation to have. Um, you, you, it requires people to be vulnerable, to tell their own stories of, of uh, you know, failure and making mistakes. And um, that, those can be very powerful stories um, to build trust, build connections. And, and so I, I think, if nothing else, we've started to message um, you know, whether it's mental health or suicide prevention or sexual assault prevention uh, or resilience in general, I just I think we've started to talk about uh, those subjects more often. Uh, but talking is just talk, right? You, you got to do something about it. And so that's really where, and me personally, I'm trying to get the fo- the field to do is like, hey, we I can give you you know a stack of books, you know, a foot high, um, but unless you operationalize. And take action on the information that's in there. It's it's worthless. So, 
it's it's a hard problem that no one has it you know figured out. It's not just an Air Force problem. Yeah. I, I think about the tactical pauses because mm -hmm. of the number of airmen that, that had taken their own lives, but. In outside of the Air Force, you think about you know the celebrities that we hear in the news that seem to have like the golden right. life, and, and and they come to that part too. But so talking about connections and, and people and knowing if your people are okay, really uh, truly okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it is a national problem. It's a global problem, and it is a complex problem. I think if um, you know if if humans figured out how to prevent suicide, we'd have done it hundreds of years ago. Um, and so. But yeah, I, I do think that that building strong connections, whether that's again with your, your family or friends, from a leadership perspective, you know, what am I doing every single day to assess the mental, physical, spiritual, and social resilience of, of those that I lead? I think we could do a better job of taking advantage of those opportunities every single day um, than what I what I've personally seen in my career. So I, I think that's a that's one area that everybody. It uh, doesn't matter what rank you are. It doesn't matter if you're holding a leadership position or not. You know, we're all teammates at the end of the day. It doesn't matter if you're an active duty, guard, reserve, civilian, man. Like, if those that you work with and those with you interact with uh, every single day, you can, you'd be surprised how much of a positive impact you can make when just, you know, showing interest in somebody and saying, hey, how's your day, and really meaning it versus kind of just checking a box. It's a great note to kind of wrap up yeah. um, kind of your role with the Air Force and how, what the Air Force is an element of what they're doing um, to work on airmen's resiliency. So, yeah. Chief, thank you for joining us yeah, today. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me. Make sure to follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube at AF Research Lab. And remember, stay curious. Logging off.